0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, JT Van Giller along with me. JT, how are you?
1: Not doing too bad, although uh, thankfully, unlike the team, I I seem to be uninjured after the weekend.
0: Yeah, and and JT, sorry I got to do this to you, but how about them them Chiefs? That was was fun yesterday, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, (laughs) as I said on Twitter during the game, as a K-State 49ers fan, it felt a lot like Saturday night. Um, and as a K-State Chiefs fan, it, I wondered if that was how uh, TCU fans felt during the game. So, yeah. you know, I got a bit, bit of both sides.
0: Yeah, I like there was a, I don't know if you follow Rainey on, on Twitter, but he tweeted out that, little known fact, sometimes Pat Mahomes like to fall behind by 10 points just to feel alive.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> uh, wouldn't surprise me. It does it, But it did definitely feel very much like the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54 there. And, yeah, yeah uh, that's true. Very, classic matchup and of course Mahomes (laughs) just makes Jimmy Garoppolo look pedestrian which you know is fair but uh definitely definitely an interesting time for me anytime the Chiefs and 49ers play yeah I, I,
0: I can imagine well this week no Chiefs game actually but we got a big one for Kansas State again taking on Oklahoma State and so we brought on the executive editor of Polk's Report Zach Lancaster Zach thanks for joining us
2: yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I got to start off by saying Bring on the Podcast is probably the most clever name I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was right there. It was right big, there. Big, had, big had to use it. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. So, well, we figure we, we probably ought to start by looking back at Saturday. I think both teams had a really rough go of it in terms of injuries. JT, I mean, for Kansas State. You can add names to this list, anybody that I forgot, but I mean you had Eddie Martinez obviously went down. Will Howard was out at least for a little bit. He came back. Deuce Vaughn was out for a couple series. Josh Hayes got hurt. Julius Brince got hurt. And I, I know I'm missing a couple there. Daniel Green was probably the biggest yeah, one Green, for the defense. Right.
1: Missing your quarterback of the defense there in the middle. And things definitely went south once he was out of the game, but yeah, it was definitely a mess in Fort Worth. And TCU seems to do that to teams. I mean, they did that to Oklahoma State the weekend before. I mean, they've done it. It seems like every week they're knocking out the team's starting quarterback and causing, you know, multiple names to appear on, on the opponent's injury report. So I don't know if it's uh TCU I, Gary Patterson's teams did that too. I mean yeah. around here we still remember twenty twelve and And, you know, we beat TCU that game, but then the next game was against Baylor and our guys were so destroyed. They just they didn't have anything left for the Bears. So, yeah, uh, yeah. maybe it's just TCU. man. That's just how they play.
0: Maybe. Yeah. And Zach, I think Oklahoma State actually is the only Big 12 team that did not have their quarterback get hurt against TCU. But man, it sounded like you had a rough Saturday against Texas, too. What's the injury report? And still yeah, are. yeah, it was interesting.
2: You know, going back to your TCU thought, I, I, they're just such a physical team. There was thoughts, there was someone that is kind of a freelancer that used to cover Oklahoma State talked about how you know he lists all the players that TCU has knocked out, and a lot of people came to the defense of TCU. Is like, well, they're not really dirty; they're just such a physical team, and it seems but, like I people have that just dirty
0: hit on Gabriel. That well, that's true.
2: I, I, that's true. I, I forget about yeah. that, but yeah, just see, it's such a strange situation this year when when teams go up against them first and foremost you look at it you know Oklahoma State there were a lot of speculation going into the Texas game about Spencer Sanders whether or not he was going to be injured that line against Texas opened at like three three and a half and within 24 hours it jumped up to over six because a lot of people thought Spencer was going to be injured he got banged up against Texas Tech so the thought going into TCU was he was going to miss and he goes out there and has a really good first half. And I don't know if he was injured, but he was missing throws that he hasn't missed since he was a redshirt freshman. He just seemed off. A, there was the completion in in single overtime to Brayden Johnson down to the goal line. And before that completion, he was one and nine leading into that. And he just, he really struggled. And he came out against Texas and, and was spectacular. I mean, it was one of the best games he's had as a quarterback at OSU. And that's saying a lot because he's been pretty good, but throws for almost 400 yards. For the game itself, they stayed relatively healthy. Jason Taylor starting safety. He intercepts a pass with, I think it was right around three minutes or a little less than three minutes left to go in the game. Kind of has an awkward landing towards the sideline to get both of his feet in and flips over out of bounds and comes up pretty gingerly. and, And it looked to be a pretty significant knee injury. Nothing's official yet, but his mom was on Facebook Live after the game and said that it was just a hyperextension and that everything was okay. Gundy today said that they'll know more tomorrow, Tuesday morning at 11. So going to be interesting to see there. But there were a lot of people that were really worried going into the game. Yet starting the redshirt senior receiver, Brayden Johnson, was out. Their starting senior safety, Thomas Harper, was out. Preston Wilson, the starting center, was out. And then Brock Martin, the like sixth or seventh-year defensive end, who seems to have been there forever, he was out as well. And I think that one more – well, Preston Wilson was a big loss going into the Texas game, but I think when you look at Brock Martin, that was a bigger loss than people initially thought or was speculated to be a bigger loss than people initially thought because Brendan Evers, he's a six-year senior defensive lineman, He came out on Thursday and said that his season is over, that he's going to sit out the rest of the year and prepare for the NFL draft. Came out later Thursday evening that he has to have reconstructive shoulder surgery, a defensive end. They had last year, Tyler Lacey, they moved him inside to defensive tackle. So with Brendan out all of a sudden, and then Brock's out. So you're down one defensive tackle and Brendan Evers, you probably have to move Tyler Lacey out. So you're down two defensive tackles as well as, as Brock Martin. So But when you look at that defensive line, they've got, they're too deep at end, even without Brock Martin, you know, defensive tackle. They're pretty stout. Linebacker, you know, they're pretty solid there. And Derek Mason moved some guys around, moved some corners to safety and brought some younger corners into the game. And the game itself was relatively clean. Other than Jason Taylor with a possible knee injury we don't quite know what it is yet but other than that I mean it was Mm -hmm. it was relatively clean and the hope is that you can at least get Preston Wilson and Brock Martin back but not quite sure well obviously you know Gundy is pretty tight-lipped about that I would imagine that Kleiman is as well although I don't know if you guys have heard Gundy's press conference from today he said that Kansas State called him and said that Adrian Martinez will play on Saturday so <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly was joking. But, yeah, uh, it was, it was good. It was kind of lightened the mood for everybody.
0: Uh huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure Kleiman will have some sort of non-answer tomorrow when he talks to the media on, on Tuesday. Yeah, I
1: expect those uh, injury report questions to be questions one, two, three, four, part yeah. <laughs> of the press conference.
0: Yeah, he's not quite as, you know, hush hush about it as Snyder was, but. He doesn't give a lot of details either, so I know college coaches do these days. It seems like so.
2: Yeah, Mike was asked about it last week with Spencer going into Texas, and he said, "Listen, guys, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Just quit asking. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you."
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a pretty big game. You know, CCU's the front runner right now, but this is you know more or less for second place. And not only that, but I mean, the loser ends up in a in a pretty bad position for tiebreakers. So. I mean, obviously the winner, you know, getting a good spot per second, but does the loser of this game get almost knocked out of Big 12 title contention, you think? Or is that overstating it? I, I don't
2: know. I uh, run a radio show here in Stillwater for three to five, and that was something we talked about today. Because I, I really think when you look at TCU, they're, I think they're a lot better than people kind of initially gave them credit for. I think who, whoever wins this game on Saturday isn't a guarantee to get into the Big 12 title game but I could see whoever wins on Saturday getting into the big 12 title game. I, I think that's when you look at Oklahoma state, one loss you look at Kansas mm-hmm. state and everything they've done. You look at the talent that they have. I just, I don't see, I don't know if I see another loss on the schedule. I, you know, Oklahoma state, they still have to play OU and it's in Norman and OU is not as good this year, but it, it doesn't matter if both teams are winless on the year. Right. It's going to be the toughest game. It's the toughest environment. So What's crazy to me when you talk about how good this matchup is, one of the sports information and senior associate athletic directors at OSU sent out a tweet today. I think this is like the 69th matchup, I think, in 108 years, I believe, of this rivalry. This is only the second time that this game is a a top 25 matchup between these two. So, I mean when when you when you talk about the big time factor in this ball game I mean it's Oklahoma State still only one loss on the season one loss in Big 12 play and then Kansas State I mean it, you know they've got a ton you're playing number 9 in the country you're at home it's an incredibly insane environment you know obviously you want to bounce back from the TCU loss and it's this is a this is probably the, for Oklahoma State probably the biggest game on the schedule
0: Yeah yeah I mean, K-State's still got a game against Texas left, so don't need to tell you that'll be a challenge. But, you know, I, I think definitely a yeah, winnable the rest of the way. JT, how do you feel? I mean, if Kansas State loses this one, what are the chances of making the Big 12 title?
1: Yeah, I'm feeling pretty slim. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of football left, and Big 12 is is a crazy, crazy beast. And like I said, still got Bedlam coming up. TCU's still got to play. You know, they've still got a tough schedule ahead of them. And, yeah. you know, they they're... Playing really well, but they're I think ripe for an upset at some point. I mean, K State was yeah. was on the cusp uh, had it not been for some injuries. And <laughs> by no means have the Wildcats played you know exceptional football this year. I mean, they're talented, they play well, but they've made plenty of mistakes. And they made plenty of mistakes against TCU. But they probably still would have won that game had everybody remained healthy. So, and even TCU had that shootout in Lawrence. That they nearly dropped to the Jayhawks. I mean, like they're flawed. So they could drop a game or two. But yeah, you're talking about tiebreakers and losing Oklahoma State would just, you know, it, it essentially puts you third, barring a complete collapse from either TCU or, or Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah.
1: We talk about a, a lot about like, you know, what the season compares to. And in a lot of ways it feels a lot like 2011. And like Zachary said, you know, it's only the second time they've played when both teams are ranked. Well, the last time they played when both teams were ranked. Twenty eleven. K State coming off of a loss to number eleven Oklahoma facing Oklahoma State. In that case it was in Stillwater and ended up losing that game forty five to fifty two. So hopefully we can break that history trend this week. I
2: think twenty eleven was that the game that came down to uh I think it was like the last last couple of plays of the game. That was an earthquake game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a that, wild game. That was the year that K State was somehow Finding a way to win every game close up up until that one, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The only blowout loss was that the loss to Oklahoma the weekend before. And then every oh, other game was right. just yeah. insanely close. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, Zach, I mean, to your point on TCU, I think, I mean, for me a little bit and, you know, for a lot of people, it's tough to get past the fact that, well, that's – you know, virtually the same team that was last year not very good. I, we talked about this last week. It's a, it's a credit to the TCU coaching staff, and also maybe an indictment on the the previous staff that they've been able to turn things around so well. So.
2: Yeah, it's such an interesting. I mean, Max Duggan was so highly touted out of mm-hmm. high school, and it seems like he's finally figured it out. And when you look at that offense. You know, I mean, they can move the ball really well. Looking at their schedule, I mean, Texas Tech's going to be an interesting game, but it's in Fort Worth. You know, you got to you got to give the edge to uh, TCU there. I don't really think West Virginia is going to be an issue. It's an 11 a.m. kick in Morgantown. Texas is going to be interesting. But, I mean, you look at Quinn Ewers, I don't know if you guys – I don't know how many stats you saw or how many facts you saw out of that game, but two pretty interesting little nuggets that were shared late Saturday night and on into Sunday. Quinn Ewers completed four consecutive passes in the first quarter. And then after that did not have back-to-back completions the rest of the game. And only three quarterbacks since 2000 have attempted 49 or more passes in a game and completed less than 20. And Ewers (laughs) is one of them. He had 19 completions. So, I mean, he's going to be really, really good, but if you can get pressure on Ewers, you know, that it forces a lot of, a lot of that youth and inexperience to kind of shine through. Yeah. Interesting.
0: But so let's get back to Saturday's game, K State, Oklahoma State. One of the more interesting storylines to me is Oklahoma State has, has not done a great job stopping the run this year, and obviously that's Kansas State's strength. And, you know, so I'd like to thank Deuce and, and hopefully Adrian could have a big game. But at the same time, you know, I think back to last year where I kinda of thought the same thing going in. I remember the line was like, I don't know, issue by ten or something. I remember thinking, Oh, that's crazy. I actually put money on Kansas State, which is not something I do very often. And then they held Deuce to, like, 22 yards and ended up winning by 11. So, I mean, what do you think this Oklahoma State team is going to do against Deuce Vaughn and, and the K-State rushing attack?
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I think Kansas State, what is it, 200 and – the 231, 232 yards a game, I think is yeah, what K-State's that average Yeah, right, Because it was
0: 240-something before last week.
2: So. Yeah, when you look at the Oklahoma State defense, they held Texas to just 36 yards in the third quarter. They're starting to really come around, but last year's defense was such an anomaly. I mean, they were were insanely talented. I mean, I'm not saying that it was some kind of a fluke, but the corners were experienced. They were talented. You had Malcolm Rodriguez, who's starting for the Lions this year. You had Devin Harper, who's playing for the Dallas Cowboys. The safeties were spectacular. You lose Tanner McAllister. He's starting for Ohio State this year. Obviously, Jim Knowles goes to Ohio State, and I don't think I'd be surprised if Ohio State won a national championship. That defense is just so much better than they were a year ago. But this defense, they're starting to come around. You know, you look at, I think they're holding opponents to 146 yards on the ground, which is almost 100 yards more than what they were allowing last year, I think, I think they ended the year average and holding uh, opponents to like 81 yards a game is what they held on the ground. So it's a, it's a far cry from last year, but they're really starting to figure it out. And and it starts to click in the set, like midway to the end of the second quarter is things, when things really start to click for Oklahoma State. And then you come out into the third quarter and that's when things really start to click and Derek Mason is able to make his, make his adjustment and it works. But Deuce Vaughn's going to get his. There, there's no question about it. Now I don't. I can't sit here and say that Oklahoma State's going to allow more than 200 rushing yards. But you look at Bijan Robinson; he had 24 carries for 140 yards. He was really good. You know, Roshan Johnson is is going to be a real threat. He had five for 73. So that you know, Texas finished with 204. I mean, that's it was it was a lot of yards. But most of those yards came in the first half. And if that's something, if that trend continues. Then uh, I do believe that Deuce Vaughn is very easily could clear 150, 160. You know, I don't, I don't think that's a stretch at all. But I'd be really curious to see where that yardage comes from. Is it, is he going to get a bulk of it in the first half? Is it going to be sprinkled throughout the game? But Derek Mason has done a really good job of being able to make those mid-second quarter adjustments, and they pl- apply really well into the third and fourth quarter.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, you talk about the defensive line depth and obviously Tyler Lacey is making a big impact at mm-hmm. defensive end. So K-State, whether it's Martinez or even Will Howard, is going to run that QB read. You know, how do you think that those guys up front will handle that? Yeah, I think this
2: defensive line is, it's obviously the rock of this defense. Like I said, I mean, you've got, you've got a six-year end and Brock Martin. You're not sure if he's going to be available, but dislocates his elbow last year and is back the very next game. Tyler Lacey they bulked him up to about 300 pounds moved him to interior line but he also stands up as an end Colin Oliver not as effective as he was last year he's big 12 freshman of the year but he's still making a big impact Trace Ford is a guy that was really really good in 2020 he tears his ACL against Baylor comes back is ready to go to start the year tears his other ACL at the start of the year misses all the 21 he hasn't missed a step I Trace Ford I've I, you look at what he did last week against Texas and if he doesn't have the performance that he does I'm not sure if Oklahoma State is able to hold Texas off he was just so electric Dioniasci in the middle I mean the defensive line is very athletic it's very fast it's very disruptive they've been able to contain offenses you look at what they did against TCU and I don't I don't have those stats pulled up in front of me but Max Duggan was pretty good, you know, but he didn't have as good of a game as I think a lot of people expected him to, especially on the ground. Oklahoma State was kind of able to contain him just a little bit. So I I think, obviously, you look at the improvements that Adrian Martinez has had from last year at Nebraska to this year. I mean, he's one of the more sure-handed, short-footed quarterbacks in the country. So this, to me, is going to be probably one of the best games we've seen out of Oklahoma State and Kansas State. I think it's going to be one of the more electric. I think a lot of people are going to watch it. And if it's like any other Oklahoma State game this year, I haven't watched a lot of Kansas State, but if it's like any any other Oklahoma State game, it's going to come down to the third and fourth quarter. I think the first quarter is going to be kind of high-powered between the two, and then it's going to kind of taper off a little bit. And that fourth quarter is really going to determine stuff.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad it's on network television, too. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice bonus. So hopefully yeah, you will see a lot of people watching it. And so, JT, I mean, if we get Will Howard, let's talk about a little bit about that the first half that he had. I mean, is it fair to say that was just the best passing half by a Kansas State quarterback this season? Oh, this <laughs> season,
1: for sure. I'd go as far as to say it's probably one of the best passing halves that Will Howard has had in his career. Yeah, sure. And he's started quite a few games, and he's played – He's he's seen Oklahoma State twice in his career now as a backup slash starter, so he's you know he's not unfamiliar with the Cowboys. But he looked like he was in command, like he was unafraid. That you know he looked like he was you know a twenty year old third year quarterback. I mean that's that's uh, best compliment I can give him. You know the last couple of years he's come in and he's looked scared. He's looked young, and he and he's been young. <laughs> you know this is his third year removed from. His graduating high school class, and he missed the spring of 2020 because of COVID. You know all that prep time that he normally would have had, and you know he's finally had two complete springs. You know he's got a got weapons all over, guys that can catch the ball all over, and he just he looked calm and comfortable and in command, and he was doing well right up until he got you know his his hand hurt on that. I'm not even sure which TCU defender it was, but came in tried to punch the ball out, cause a fumble, you know, end up hitting his hand and knocked him out for a couple series there. And, you know, I, I I feel terrible for him. And of course, you know, Colin Klein didn't do any favors there right at the end of the half, either three straight runs into a punt, which killed a ton of momentum. That was just, you know, it's just so hard for a, a backup quarterback to try to regain momentum no matter what level you're at. And against a team like TCU, you just can't do that. You've just got to keep your, your foot on the gas and hope to out race and You can't ever let up. And I, it feels like we did that yeah. a little bit. But, and particularly when but up you do know you that point,
0: TCU had two straight positions with the second half kickoff going their yeah. right. way. But up until that point, Will Howard played great. And
1: I, I'm i very impressed. i I'm very much more confident in his abilities going forward than I was prior to that game.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, then if it's Howard, that might... Uh change the the way that Oklahoma State approaches, you know, the question of how much do you trust your corners to go one on one, and Derek Kansas State to beat you through the air? Zach, how do you think they'll handle that? Yeah, it's
2: an it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. I think that question was answered a little bit on Saturday. Oklahoma State had yet well, I, I think most Big Twelve programs can look at the opponents that they have played, and they're not going to face a, a traditional you know pocket passer very often. It's it's going to be a lot of dual threat. It's going to be a lot of running. Quinn Ewers is I, I think he had one rush on Saturday. He, they forced him to stand in the the pocket and and the pressure the pressure was able to you know to get to him and he you know threw a lot of incompletions and I, I'll be honest I was I was a little concerned with the corners going into Saturday's game you know Corey Black is a, a guy that at the, he, him and Jabbar Muhammad are both juniors they played some last year and and were good but when you're going up against a corner that's starting for LSU now and Jark Bernard Converse you're going up you know behind a corner and Christian Holmes who now playing for the the Washington Commanders you're not going to be on the field much, so there's not a lot of pressure. And it's been very evident that fast and physical receivers on the outside have been an issue. I mean, you go back to Baylor; Baylor was an issue. TCU was an issue with Quentin Johnston. Xavier Worthy is going to give everybody problems, and, and he was a bit of an issue there in the first half, and certainly in the fourth quarter there last week uh, against Texas. So, but when you look at what Derek Mason was able to do and and move some corners, you know, I think he he dropped Corey Black into you know into into a kind of a safety role, and he, he brought in a couple of younger corners and had a lot of coverage corners out there. I they did well, you know, you look at the first quarter against Texas and I was surprised, you know, when you, when you look at the score going in halftime, Oklahoma state only trailed seven points, 31, 24 going into half, but, and they, you know, they really kind of closed the gap there in the second quarter, but Texas had 173 yards in the first half and 80 they're pretty balanced 89 on the ground 84 through the air but most of those passes were for touchdowns you know I mean they they moved the ball really well and had 106 passing yards in the second quarter and then Oklahoma State held them to just like I said 36 yards in the third quarter so they really kind of tightened things up and they got comfortable and Kendall Daniels in the back in the in the back side as a safe has really come into his own and and Jason Taylor as a safety is coming to his own and they they all kind of rove around so I had a lot of questions answered this past week now obviously Kansas State is, is very talented, and it, it is going to be an issue. You're in Manhattan, a very ruckus environment, and oh she's played two Big 12 road games so far. They went down to Waco, but Manhattan at 230 compared to Waco at 230 is totally different, and then obviously Manhattan versus TCU. Those are two totally different environments, so I think that's going to play a big role, and we're going to find out what these corners are all about on Saturday. There's no question.
0: Yeah, and it should be a, a good test for Malik Knowles as well. Hopefully he can uh, show off some of his ability. Certainly, I mean, you know, Kansas State is going to be hard-pressed to, to keep up with Oklahoma State's offense that have been very explosive. Let's switch over to them real quick, but we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So, yeah, we're back. And just to, to start with on the Oklahoma State offense, I mean, you mentioned Spencer Sanders playing pretty well. I mean, I think he's like a lot of Big 12 quarterbacks and, you know, very talented and does a lot of good things. But every once in a while, you know, kind of – these people shaking their heads. So, I mean, what is the Spencer Sanders experience like these days?
2: Yeah, Spencer has really figured it out. You know, I, he's had four interceptions on the year, most of them coming in Big Twelve play. But you had an interception against Texas, where you've got a true freshman receiver who put himself into a bad position for a fade, and Spencer, instead of throwing a fade, decides to throw a dart into the end zone, and it's read by the read by the defender the whole way. But Spencer is this is the quarterback I think most Oklahoma State fans expected from the very beginning you know he was had a really rough redshirt freshman year but he got better as the season progressed and same with 2020 and then obviously last year he wasn't incredibly explosive you know he wasn't going out there and throwing for 400 yards a game but he was composed obviously the Baylor games notwithstanding all the interception he's thrown there but you know he's thrown for over 2,000 yards he's I believe, combined for, let's see, he's got 15 through the air and then rushing. He's setting at eight on the ground, you know, and rushed for almost 400 yards. So what he does, he brings such a level of maturity and, and toughness and experience. He's had the two plays that kind of stick out in my mind. He had one this past weekend against Texas and he had one against Baylor a couple of weeks back but true freshman running back against Baylor gets the ball popped out and most quarterbacks if they see the ball you know they're either going to make a business decision or they're going to you know maybe slide on the ball or something but Spencer dives head first into the scrum he does the same thing against Texas and and that's just the kind of guy he is he's going to go head first into the He's not going to slide very often he slid last week against Texas and got his bell rung and you know his head bounces off the turf he was okay but that's not something that you typically see from Spencer he's more mature through the air he's got more zip on his ball obviously he was under throwing against TCU but that goes back to question whether or not his shoulder was healthy but his receivers are finally starting to it's all kind of starting to click you look at Bryson Green he's a redshirt freshman he played considerable last year but you look at what he did against Texas and Oklahoma State hasn't had a receiver like this too often the past couple of seasons obviously Tay Martin kind of stepped up big this past year but Bryson was five for 133 yards and a touchdown against Texas and then they had a true freshman in uh, Stephon Johnson that really exploded. He had six for 90. And then Brennan Presley, he's been really good his entire career, but he was six for 60 with a touchdown there at the end of the ballgame to kind of secure it. So Spencer, is his weapons are starting to work. When the offensive line, you know, he doesn't need a lot of time. If a play breaks down, he's able to get around. But, you know, to, to kind of get back to your point, his interceptions were a problem last year. You know, I think he threw nine against Baylor in the two games. It was I think he finished with, I want to say, 13 on the year. So when you're when you when you combine for four against you know every other team and you're throwing nine against one, it's a bit of an issue. But he's he only has four on the year this year, so he's more mature. He's kind of figuring some stuff out. He's you know throwing the ball away and he's he's tucking it and running it. And obviously, the backup quarterback situation is is not great. You know you've got a true freshman and a I think a redshirt freshman or a, a redshirt sophomore that. I think he's only played one game between the two of them. So that was only just a little bit of time towards the end of one. So obviously you want Spencer to be the, he is the guy you want him out there. And, and he's really starting to figure it out. But there are moments where he takes off and you kind of have to hold your breath. And it's like, oh, what are you doing? Why, just throw the ball away, man. Don't, you don't need to lower your shoulder and try to take out a linebacker. You're the starting quarterback. Just Just take a slide. You'll be fine.
0: Yeah. So, what's your level of confidence then, especially with the household crowd that you'll see Saturday if, if Oklahoma State gets the ball and, you know, they're either tied or behind and needs a game winning drive at the end?
2: Well, this will, I, actually, I'll be there. This is my first time to be in Manhattan. I'm going to, I get to make the trip up there and I've heard incredible things obviously the game was at home this past weekend against texas but oklahoma state trailed and that they scored 17 unanswered to win that ball game in the second half was probably the gutsiest win that i've seen from an oklahoma state team in the last 10 to 15 years i, I know it was at home but texas had all the momentum quinn ewers was struggling but you know you when you've got weapons like roshan johnson and Bijan John robinson and Xavier Worthy. I mean, you you have all the momentum. You would expect Texas to kind of hold on to a 14 point lead there. And then you go to TCU. That was a pretty hostile environment. And I think if Spencer, no one knows what he felt like, but you could tell something was wrong. If Spencer is healthy and they're able to move the ball literally at all on the ground, which they weren't able to do. I had a lot of confidence that Oklahoma state was going to be able to come back. So for me, I, I know that Manhattan's an insane environment, but if Oklahoma State's trailing by a score, or if they've got, you know, like you said, if, if the game is tied and, and they're trying to put points on the board, Spencer can get it done if Oklahoma State is able to move the ball on the ground. You know, they've struggled at that at times. I know Spencer can get his yardage. He's going to probably have anywhere between 40 and 70 a game, you know on average but Dominic Richardson who's supposed to be the number one back he struggles at times he's more of a a third down goal line type of back that they've had to force into a main back type of role they have a speed sir who's a redshirt freshman who's a little bit smaller in Jaden Nixon but he's explosive but it, it takes him a while and he's still trying to figure things out and they've got their bell cow back that is going to be the future of the program but he's true freshman and he's Playing like a true freshman, he has some moments where it clicks. But other than that, so if Oklahoma State is able to move the ball on the ground, which that's a big if, then I do have a lot of confidence. Just be, I mean, you just look at what Spencer did last year. You look at what he's done this year. I I know there is some talent and this may sound like kind of a Homer orange colored glasses type of a pick, but Spencer Sanders is the best quarterback in the big 12. And he's proven that over the past couple of seasons. So if they can move the ball, I I do have a lot of confidence, but that crowd is going to play a big factor. And this is the first time that, that they'll have faced something like that this year.
0: So, yeah, so when you're talking about the, the bell cow back, the, the freshman, I assume you're talking about Nixon. Uh, Ollie or, Gordon. Nixon. Okay. Nixon's oh, okay.
2: the, yeah, Nixon's the red shirt speedster. He's explosive. He had a pretty big run. I believe it was a, let's see, Jaden, a 51 yarder that actually ran okay, out of yeah. the shoe the other yard.
0: day. Because Dominic Richardson is the guy who's been getting most of the carries this year, right? And he's kind of been struggling under five yeah, carry. Yeah, and
2: that's what's weird. Because when you go back to the a Baylor game against 2020, where he rushed for almost 200 yards, he actually he had committed to TCU, had a scholarship, and TCU pulled the scholarship in order to sign Zach Evans, who's no longer there. So... There was a big grudge, so he had you know close to 200 yards against TCU last year. This year, I think he only had you know 40 or 50 yards. He's just there are times where Dom is very dominant. He figures it out. He's explosive. He can bowl over a defender. He's really sure-handed out of the backfield catching the ball. I think that's a big plus that not many people are talking about. But if you need him to go out there and you know you have to get nine yards in order to keep a drive alive. I'm not saying that he can't do it, but at least from a fan standpoint, there's not a lot of faith because he has struggled to move the ball at times. It just, it, not really sure why, but it just doesn't, hasn't really seemed to click for him.
0: Okay, so yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like this is going to be more of a high-scoring game. I know last week we talked about how uh, we were kind of all expecting a, a low-scoring game against CCU, and I mean, I guess it was both teams were below their season average, but I don't think you really call it low scoring. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, how it goes. The other thing, we, we were talking about you know, the friendly schedule for Oklahoma State, and obviously they're, they're very much in the Big 12 championship conversation with the win, but you know, how much craziness would it take for Oklahoma State to get back into the college football playoff conversation point? That's a really
2: good question because obviously ranked number nine, I would think it wouldn't rely on Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Oklahoma State could win out and i think when you look at the, i mean they they are a good football team there's no you don't you're not in the top 12 consistently if you're not at least a good football team but if you look at some of the deficiencies on the defense and the back end being able to stop the pass there have been times where they've struggled to move for football i like this team i think that you know spencer has another year of eligibility next year the offensive line i think you only lose one guy and you only lose one receiver, and honestly, I think he may have another year of eligibility. You're going to lose some off the defensive line, but other than that, you're not going to lose too much off the defense, so next year, I think they're going to be really, really good, but I think Oklahoma, in order for Oklahoma State to be in, the, in playoff talks, they're going to have to win out. They'd have to win the Big 12 championship, and I think they would need... They would probably need a few teams ahead of them to lose, probably late too. Probably lose, a a couple teams lose there in the final week of the regular season and and maybe have a team ranked higher than them lose in championship weekend because I I like this team, but there are deficiencies and I think that's why they're setting around number, you know, anywhere between nine and 12 the past couple of weeks
0: yeah and then that non-conference schedule doesn't exactly have any signature wind either so (laughs) yeah you
2: know uh that's been a pretty big point of contention the past couple of years (laughs) however i will give the current athletic director a lot of credit he was the second in command for a few years and before he took over he has a home and home with oregon he scheduled a home and home with alabama there's a, a multi-year home-and-home home with Arkansas, which that was a massive rivalry back in the day, although Arkansas just mopped the floor. That was a paycheck for Oklahoma State. They're <laughs> going to get back to playing that. I think they're going to play Nebraska, which, but that won't be till the mid-30s, so hopefully Nebraska figures it out. You know? Hopefully? I
0: don't know if hopefully is the right word. but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did
2: you guys see the... Uh there were two Nebraska fans that drove down to Stillwater for the, they were decked out in Nebraska gear. And they <laughs> the only reason they were there, there was a kid, it was the only sign in the stadium. He held it up the entire game that just said, Iowa sucks. And that's the only <laughs> <laughs> They wanted to watch a good football game and hold up a sign that Iowa sucks. It was, it was spectacular.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. It. That's great. All right. Well, a couple more questions before we get to predictions. First one, I'm, I'm sure you get tired of hearing, but, K-State fans, the Big 12 fans want to know, when is Mike Gundy going to leave? How much longer is he going to stay around? (laughs) So uh,
2: when I first started this, 2015 or so, Mike had always talked about how he doesn't want to coach much past 60 or 60 at all. Uh But this year, he's come out and said that if he's still happy and he's still healthy, that he'll, you know, he could coach till he's 70. And he's, I think he's 55, 56, somewhere around there. Back in 20, 2019, 2020, he signed a uh, rollover five-year contract. And so until Mike decides he wants to leave, Mike can be there until the day he dies as the head coach. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. if you'd have asked me this two years ago, I'd have told you that Mike probably wasn't going to coach much past 60. But with him coming out, I mean, he, he has a an athletic director that supports him that is willing to, you know, basically do whatever it takes for the football program to be successful. He has a president they're willing to do the same thing. They've built an administration favorable to football. Obviously, you look at the success that they're having. The past two to three recruiting classes have done really well. And those guys, are. I think they played nine true freshmen on Saturday in that game. And and obviously, you know, that these young kids are getting better and better. And Oklahoma State is is trending nothing but up, and so when you've got that, you've got an administration that's willing to provide you what you need in order to be successful. I really don't think I'd be surprised if Mike coached for another 10 to 15 years. Obviously, 15 would be yeah. on the high end, but I, at this point, I don't think I'd be shocked if he went at least another 10 years.
1: It just makes me feel really old because <laughs> when Mike Gundy started at Oklahoma State was my freshman year at K State. Luke was your freshman year at Missouri, yeah, in two thousand five. And you know, it, like he's still there and he's still going. He's yeah, like there's no way he's, he's going to leave of his own volition, right? Unless he just retires because he's old because he's it's his alma mater. I mean, that's he's an Oklahoma guy. Like there's no way he's going anywhere. I mean, I don't think Alabama could could come call him with a, you know, with the Brinks truck and could lure him away. I, I mean, it would, it would probably take a ton yeah, to pull him away was, from his home. I mean, literally would, it's his home. It would not have going been
2: 2016, 2017, I think. I mean, maybe in following the 2017 year, I can't quite remember what it was, but there's been a few times that Tennessee has come, you know, and, and they were willing, they literally backed up the Brinks truck. I mean, they were, you know, the reports were, you know, somewhere around seven, eight, nine million dollars a year, and basically you have carte blanche to do whatever you want to do. It, I mean, it was it was insane, and there it, it is a bit of point of contention for Oklahoma State fans. They felt like Mike used those opportunities to get more money, but if you look at the success that he's had, you know, obviously, you know, he's the most successful coach in the Big Twelve right now. He's the longest tenured coach in the Big Twelve, and. When you look at everything he's done, all the, you know, the, I think it's 16 or 17 straight bowl games. You look at knocking off, you know, a top three all-time program in college football history in Notre Dame last year. You've knocked off a top 10 OU in Texas. You look at what you've done the last 15 years. I mean, he's, he's worth every penny of the five some odd million that that he's making. The, the, I, I'll just say this, Mike would have to lose every game for a couple of years in a row in order for <laughs> Oklahoma State to ship him off. I can see him going for another another 10 some odd years cuz he's not if Mike Weaves it's going to be because he retires and he just wants to mm-hmm. he just wants to hang out with grandkids and, and he doesn't have not any yet. Yeah, you know, that was a, you go out and shoot hogs out of a helicopter, you know, but uh, yeah, it's Mike. He's got a massive ranch here in town. It's the last child. He's a senior this year. He's fixing to graduate high school. He's a starting quarterback at Stillwater. So, you know, and and he said that that's kind of played into it. He's going to be an empty nester and they're pretty upset about that, but you know, he's, the program's rolling and, and he's making a lot of money and the, everything's certainly trending upwards. I think if you're able to, obviously they, Auburn got rid of Derek Mason, but if you're able to take a defensive coordinator out of the SEC who is one of the most highly sought after defensive coordinators and assistant coaches in the country, and you're able to hire him in Stillwater, if you'd have told me that 10 years ago or any Oklahoma State fan, I think they probably would have laughed you off the phone. Yeah. So he's certainly got this program weird. training in the right direction. So unfortunately, <laughs> I have to deal with Mike Gundy for at least another 10
0: years. Yeah, tomorrow. he's been he's been impressive. Who's Mike Mike Gundy gonna vote for in the Oklahoma governor race? <laughs> no, no, don't answer that. <laughs> but I have another question for you. Who is your favorite former Bill Snyder assistant? Is it Charlie Dickey or Joe Bob Clements? Oh man, that
2: is such a tough question. Based on tenure alone. And based on the, the type of players and the, the caliber of players that Joe Bob has recruited and churned out at Oklahoma State, the defensive end, defensive line, and now he's the linebackers coach, I'm going to have to go Joe Bob just because the entire time I've been on the beat, he's been there. But if you want to talk about, and I'm not not trying to you know say anything bad about Joe Bob, but if you want to talk about one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life is Charlie Dickey. He is incredibly genuine. He's got a great family. Um, he's amazing. He Absolutely. He's an old soul. I don't think I've ever heard him swear he, out on the, on, on the field. I mean, he's you know, gosh, darn it. You know, I mean, His it's,
1: wife it's, is a hoot. <laughs> mm, yeah, oh I my mean, just, goodness.
2: And, and I don't know there was a game last year. I'm trying to remember what it was. It may have been Bedlam. It may have been Bedlam or um, I think it it Bedlam or homecoming last year. And, Charlie Jr. got out there. They gave him the game ball after the game in the locker room, and he did the Gundy dance with the whole team around him. You guys have to look it up. I think we had it on our website. So, But it was it was incredible. It was a goosebumps moment. He's a, a peach of a person. He's got a great family. So, I mean, it's it's hard to pick Joe Bob over Charlie, but both of them are, are just spectacular. I mean, I'm surprised that not that Joe Bob doesn't love Oklahoma State because I think he's had numerous chances to leave. He's a, an incredible assistant, and people are probably willing to. There were a lot of people that were worried that if he wasn't promoted to defensive coordinator, that he was going to leave. But I mean, he's got the he's got the power cat tattooed on his back. I don't know if you guys know that. Or not. <laughs>
0: I didn't. <know> that. <laughs> yeah, he's got
2: a power cat on his shoulder, so he is Kansas State. But yeah, he's. I'll probably have to go with uh, with Joe Bob.
1: Okay. Say, uh, Charlie does does still own land up here in. May- uh, just North Manhattan. Like he's got his retirement plot picked out. It's, sure. it's uh, it is right next to a uh, land owned by BJ Finney. So uh, from a former cat, Lineman there, it, it's just North Manhattan. It, I thought I thought it was hilarious. Like, oh, he's still on land up here. So apparently, he's coming. He's going to come back up here to retire. But you can have him until he's done. Well, I've, I've
2: been <laughs> to I've been to Kansas City a few times. Wife and I go to Wichita every now and then. It's only about two hours north. But never been to Manhattan. But I don't know if you guys have heard of Tom Dorado. He uh, used to be the color voice for uh, Cowboy football and basketball. For you know. Decades back in the the 80s and 90s, I think late 70s, but he worked it Uh, he worked in the athletic department at Kansas State. And I've never heard him say a a bad thing a negative thing about Manhattan. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody other than maybe a KU grad that has anything (laughs) bad to say about Manhattan. So I'm very much looking forward to being there on Saturday.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's the time of the podcast where we ask you your prediction on the game. What do you think is going to happen?
2: Well, that's a really good question because I've kind of had this game circled on the calendar because when you look at Oklahoma State's last three weeks, you have TCU, Gauntlet, you have Texas, Gauntlet, and then Kansas State is obviously, you know, their preseason favorites and all the, all the big 12 awards that they have. I'm trying to find it here. What is Kansas State? What do they average per game? You guys know that off the top of your head.
0: Ooh, we're talking points? Yes. Twenty-eight point six.
2: Twenty-eight point six. Oklahoma State is allowing twenty eight point seven and they're they're scoring forty four. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and say that Oklahoma State is gonna win forty four to twenty eight. I think the the fact that it's in Manhattan, it's in yeah. an And
0: instantaneous... obviously I mean they play different tempos of football. No
2: question. And I think that's that's going to be a big thing. If, if Kansas State is able to limit Oklahoma State on the ground, and, and here's Oklahoma State's not running the ball all that well. I think they're only averaging 153 on the ground, just under four yards a carry. So they've they've struggled to move the ball. If Kansas State is able to limit Oklahoma State on the ground, and they make Spencer beat them through the air, I think he is capable of it. He's a very talented quarterback, and he's gotten better throwing the ball. But you make Oklahoma State one-dimensional and, and you're looking at another TCU type of game comes down to the the final drive or two in either direction. Manhattan is an insane place to play with an insane student section you know you can hear it you know kind of vibrating through the TV on if you watch it. When you look at Oklahoma State you know the, that I think the defense and Spencer that's going to be the backup you know, if, if Oklahoma State's defensive line is able to kind of limit Deuce Vaughn, and I, I don't mean shut down at all because Deuce is going to be good. If they're somehow able to limit the game on the ground and the defensive line, because I think they lead the country in, in tackles per loss and, and they're, I mean, the quarterback hurries, they, they're so deep on the edge and they're so explosive and so fast off the edge that if they're able to recap it in the backfield, I do like Oklahoma State's chances. But this is either going to be a, a really high scoring game 40 plus on either side or this is going to come down to a you know, 24-17 drag it out, you know, slugfest. Weather's not going to play a factor, but Oklahoma State has been fairly consistent. I think that had they like I said earlier, if they'd have been able to run the ball against TCU, I think they'd win that game and I think that they they're starting to try to get that figured out. The offensive line played better against a pretty salty Texas defense. So give me, oh man, I don't know, Um 28 Oklahoma State.
0: Okay. All right, JT, this is a Kansas State Podcast. Let's assume best case scenario on the injury front. What do you see happening?
1: Best case, I feel like this is going to look a lot like the Texas Tech game. K-State has been really good at getting out to an early lead but having the home crowd, I think, is going to help. Home team gets a hunt, you know, whatever, however many players on the sideline. You know, that's just that many more bodies. And, you know, it, I think it's going to be close. You know, Oklahoma State's going to make a game of it. They're a good team. They're going to make a game of it. But I think all things being equal, you know, with the injuries that both teams have, you know, just, just the way it is, I, I feel pretty good about Chris Kleinman getting his first win over Oklahoma State this weekend. And in that mid-30s to high-20s kind of game, like you know, 35, 28, 37, 28 was the the tech game. I mean, the last non-COVID year that Mike Gundy won in Manhattan was was 2016, and that was a shootout. It was a 43-37 shootout. K-State was wearing white helmets. That's never a good sign. The last straight-up time was 2010 when Oklahoma State won in Snyder's second year back. In that team that couldn't stop, you know, a, a paraplegic from from rushing for two hundred yards. So, <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's I, I feel pretty good. And even a couple of years ago, the COVID year, twenty eighteen game, like it was twenty two eighteen, not twenty eighteen, twenty two eighteen, and it, that game was a mess. I was at that game, and and it, it was close right up to the last second. So, I feel quite a bit better, even if it's Will Howard at quarterback. You know, I I, I feel pretty good about this team's chances in Manhattan.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I hope so. Should be fun. Well, Zach, we appreciate you joining us. We know your Twitter is uh, ZLancaster91, and people can check out your stuff, at pokesreport.com. Anything else that you want to plug? No, that's pretty much
2: it. I appreciate you guys having me on. I found out that apparently my mute button does not work right now. So <laughs> apologize apologize for clearing my throat. But no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I've had this game circled on my calendar for a while. I think this is going to be one of the more exciting games we've seen in the Big 12. And certainly looking forward to getting up to Manhattan. And I think my boss said something about eating in Aggieville. Oh, I don't know yeah. What Aggie, Ooh, yeah, I don't know what Aggieville is I know that OSU used to be the Aggies and then no one likes Texas a and m so if it's better than if it's better than college station, I'm all in
0: yeah, definitely yeah, better no, than college station yeah you have a good time maybe we'll uh connect with you again during basketball season so
2: absolutely appreciate you having me on
0: right. So, you. yeah I't I don't
1: know